0: Thank you, our Heavenly Father, for your Word. We thank you for your kindness in um, the preservation of your Word over all of these thousands of years. And uh, we just ask that as we uh, listen to what you have to say to us today, that you would soften our hearts, that you would give us humble hearts, that we would receive your truth, that we would um, submit to it. Um, We ask that your Holy Spirit would help it to come alive, that we would really um, take it and that it would... You would change us by it so we thank you that uh, you are you work through your word and we thank you for the holy spirit who helps us to understand and to apply it to our lives so we entrust ourselves to you now and we thank you for your love for us in this in jesus name we pray amen romans 8 28 to 30. It's great to be with you again this morning. Great to be catching up with people at Victor Harbour, Mount Barker and Orgate. And as we begin looking at Romans 8 again today, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your grace and mercy towards us in your Son. Give us a bigger picture of who you are this morning so that it might fill our minds and hearts with confidence and security as we serve you in this world. Amen. Over the years, lots of people have talked to me about why they aren't Christians. Now, sometimes it's as simple as the fact that life is busy and they just haven't had enough time to think about it. But, you know, often there are deeper reasons, Uh, a bad experience of church when they were younger, feeling like there are so many religions to choose from. I mean, which is the right one? Are they all basically the same? But for some, it's the profound challenge that they feel in the face of suffering. I mean, if there's a God, why would he let people experience pain and hardship? Of course, wrestling with that problem isn't just reserved for critics of Christianity. Believers have to come to terms with it too. And it's not just theoretical. I mean, we all know people who are suffering or we're acutely aware right now of struggles in our own lives or in our own families. Even just having the topic raised probably stirs up painful memories. The Bible is so honest at this point. It faces up to the reality of suffering in our world. And it's a suffering that Christians are not exempt from. Now, we've seen it already in Romans chapter eight, verse 18, it refers to our our present sufferings. And then later in the chapter, it talks about trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, danger, even death. Now, there is just no sugarcoating here. Life involves struggle. And yet, Romans 8 is full of joy and confidence and security and certainty. Look at the end of uh, Romans chapter 8 with me, verses 38 and 39. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now where does this uh, rock solid confidence come from? You know even in the face of trouble or persecution. Well we're going to look at Romans chapter 8 verses 28 to 30. Just a couple of verses and these take us to the very heart of a secure relationship with God even in the face of hardship. In his book Future Grace the well-known American Christian author John Piper He takes a moment to reflect on these verses, and this is what he says. If you live inside this promise, then your life and your confidence will be rock solid. But outside is only confusion, anxiety, fear, and uncertainty. So let's dive in. Let's take a closer look at these wonderful verses together. You remember two weeks ago, we saw that suffering it doesn't diminish our future hope. Uh, in verse 18, we read these words: "I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us." Now, a wonderful, solid future hope when God raises us from the dead. But what about now? I mean what is God doing when we struggle with sickness or persecution right now? Last week we saw that we're not alone. God himself groans with us in our suffering. But it doesn't stop there. Look with me at verse 28. Verse 28. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now can I say this is quite confronting because it seems to be saying that when God... Is working, it's even through our suffering for our good. Now how can good and suffering go together? I want us to slow down and take a a bit of time over these verses and just see if we can pull them apart and understand them a little better. So let's get tucked in. What are the all things being talked about here? Well, the verses before and after, they give us a good idea. So in verse 17, it talks about sharing Christ's sufferings. Or verse 18, it refers to our our present sufferings. Or in verse 22, it speaks about the fact that we groan along with creation. And then you get to verse 35 later in the chapter, and it speaks of trouble and hardship and persecution, famine, and even death. Uh, What is God doing now Well, he's at work in all things, Uh, the troubles, the difficulties, the hardships, but also the good things, the way we count them as good, everything. He is superintending every aspect and every event in our lives. You see, he's not just some passive deity away in the clouds, waiting for the final curtain to fall before he shows up to receive the applause. Uh, He is actively, purposefully engaged and overruling in all that happens to us. It's what theologians call the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. And it's a truth that's affirmed and assumed on almost every page of the Bible. You go to a place like Matthew, uh, chapter 10, verse 29, and we read there, "'Are not two sparrows sold for a penny or a cent?' And yet, not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care." Uh, This idea of the sovereignty of God, it's developed in verses 29 and 30. Let's read them together. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Now, did you pick up the time frame in those verses Uh, from before the beginning of creation until the end of time? Uh, What is God doing in the lives of those who love him? Well, it's particularly focused on salvation here, but he, he foreknows, he predestines, he calls, he justifies, he glorifies. Who controls all the events in our lives? God does. Now let me say these verses and, and others like them in the scripture have often caused great controversy and anxiety um, questions like, is it fair that God should choose and predestine some to be in his family before the creation of the world and not others? Now, what about our responsibility? I mean, don't we exercise a real choice when we decide to put our trust in Jesus? Aren't there some who fall away from believing in Jesus? I mean, most of us know people who once claimed to be followers of Jesus, but they don't anymore. Uh, If God sovereignly chooses people, how could they do this? If it's all up to God, then is there any point in telling other people about Jesus and urging them to trust in him? After all, won't God just do what he wants to do anyway? And at one level, they're all real questions. They're all valid questions. And I'd like to offer the same answer that the Apostle Paul does here in this chapter. And that's the point. He actually doesn't offer any answer to that. He reflects on it a bit in earlier chapters and after this. He engages with some of those questions, but not here. Why is the sovereign power and purpose of God being emphasized here, especially in salvation? It's not to generate theological debate or controversy or division. I mean, sure, you'll have questions. But remember here in this chapter, we've been told God has given you his Holy Spirit and the Spirit convicts us of God's fairness. And if you have the Holy Spirit, You never think if God does it, we don't do anything. Um, If we have the Holy Spirit, we'll never want to fall away from his mercy and his care. And we'll always want others to experience the grace of God. You see, the point is to provide security and confidence for those who love God. And that's the case even when we're in the midst of enormous pain, Or we face persecution because we choose to follow Jesus. You see, God controls the circumstances of our lives. John Calvin, he was the great 16th century reformer and he described this doctrine of the sovereignty of God as a most helpful doctrine. He went on and he said, every event in our lives passes through the sieve of God's perfect control Before it reaches you. So, how is God using this sovereign power? After all, not everyone who has power is trustworthy. Well, look with me at verse 28. In all things, God works for the good of those who love Him. Friends, this is a promise for those who trust in Jesus. It's a promise for those who have his Holy Spirit. But what is our good? Uh, You might be thinking right now, there's a a recession here in Australia. So if I can hang on to my job, that would be good. Or possibly you think it'd be good if you could be healed from some chronic illness that's been plaguing you. Uh, It might be good if you could pass your mid-year exams. I mean, what would you say is your good right now let's look at the good that God has in mind let's turn to verse 29 for those God foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters so here's the good thing God is glorifying Jesus and that happens when people put their trust in him God is adding children into his family so that Jesus, he is the firstborn among many brothers and sisters being added to this eternal family. And what about for those who are in the family? Uh, What's the good thing that God's doing in our lives? Well, he's at work to make us more like Jesus, to give us a character like his, the same loves and affections And ambitions but can I say this is a it's a revolutionary way of thinking Uh, we live in a world that worships the individual autonomy personal rights the supremacy of individual choice uh, the importance of personal happiness and this idea of becoming like Jesus sounds sounds actually so foreign Uh, Jim Packer, he's an English-born Canadian Christian. In 1961, he wrote a book where he called this the Great Copernican Revolution in Thinking. Uh, You probably know, up until the time of Copernicus, people believed that the sun revolved around the earth. Copernicus was the one who put forward uh, the revolutionary idea that, in fact, the earth moved around the sun. Packer says that when someone becomes a Christian, they undergo a profound revolution in heart and in thinking that life is not all about us and our happiness in this world. No, God has created us to center on him and to glorify him. And God is shaping us to be like his son, Jesus. And he uses all things, including suffering and hardship in our lives to do this. He's preparing us, not just for dealing with life in this world, but to share an eternity with him. Now, does that mean we fully understand why God would let us suffer or go through heartache? No. But the necessity of living in a world that groans and a world where we suffer is an essential part of that good purpose. Does it mean that suffering and pain are good? I mean, say tomorrow when you uh, head out to your car, someone sneaks out from the bushes, knives you, beats you up, steals your keys, robs you of your car, takes your wallet. Um, Should you say at the end of that, well, praise the Lord, this is the best thing that could have happened to me if only they'd broken my arm as well. You know, can I say, no, sin is still sin. Evil is still evil and pain is still pain. But in all things, God is at work for the good of those who love him to grow us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, time and time again, uh, I've heard followers of Jesus talk about the way that God has used Uh, struggles, difficulties, persecution, to shape their character. I remember when I spoke at a conference for young adults, uh, perhaps a decade or so ago. There was a young man there, he was about 24 years old, and he was interviewed about the way he'd been suffering with chronic fatigue syndrome since he was about 15 years of age. And he went from being a, a top sportsman, academically, a high achiever, Uh, someone who played several musical instruments and a number of bands. He went from that to not being able to get out of bed. And at 24, uh, he still wasn't well and he was quite restricted in his activities. And the person interviewing him in front of maybe 60 or 70 of his friends, asked him a question like this. Do you wish you'd never gotten this sickness? It, It seems to have robbed you of almost a decade of your life. And I remember he he paused for a bit and he said, he said, no, God has taught me so many things through this time. Uh, The importance of people over things, the importance of what he's done for me in Jesus, more than what I can achieve in my life. He said, I don't want anyone to think I'm a poster boy for suffering but I don't think I would have learnt these things unless I went through this sickness. Over the years, I've heard so many followers of Jesus say essentially the same sort of thing. If we went back to Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5, we'd read there that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. Character, hope. And hope doesn't disappoint us. Friends, we won't always understand what's going on when we're suffering. We won't always understand why some people seem to receive a larger portion of suffering than others. But friends, this is the undergirding truth for all who follow Jesus. But today, what if you're watching and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian? I mean, you don't have that relationship with God or that confidence in God that means you see suffering through this lens. Can I ask you, what what is your philosophy or your worldview when it comes to suffering? And can I also follow up by asking, is it livable? Does it give you an answer of substance like the Christian worldview does? You see, suffering operates like an early warning device, a signal that tells you things, they're not the way they should be. This world, it can't provide ultimate meaning and happiness. And it only takes a pandemic to expose the shallowness of the secular dream. C.S. Lewis, uh, he's a well-known Christian writer from the 20th century. I remember him saying, suffering is like this megaphone that God uses to alert us to the need to turn to him. Well, God is at work for our good even through suffering but can I just say again suffering is not the last word turn with me to Romans 8 verse 30 those he predestined he also called those he called he also justified those he justified he also glorified predestined called justified justified they're all past events. I mean, by definition, God predestines before the foundation of the earth. He calls people into relationship with himself. Uh, early in the book of Romans, he talks about the way people are, are justified or made right with God when they trust in what Jesus has done for them on the cross. If you're a Christian, then these three things, they have already happened to you. By glory, Well, that's a future thing isn't it and when we're raised from the dead we see God face to face Uh, we have that to look forward to but look with me again at verse 30 notice what it says those he justified he also glorified not he will glorify but he already has glorified you see God has secured our future already And this is the power of certain hope. And right now, the followers of Jesus will suffer. We will endure persecution. But God is using all these things, including struggles and suffering, to shape us to be like Jesus because that is the good. God works for the good of those that love him. Can I say, lay up that promise in your heart. Water it, fertilize it, and nurture it. Because this promise, it will sustain you until you meet him face to face. Let me lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the fact that you are the one who rules over heaven and earth, you do it from before the beginning of time to the end of time, and you do it for the good of those that love you, you call, you draw us into relationship with yourself. Father, we pray that our security and confidence will rest on your character, your purposes, and your sovereign goodness for us, that even in the face of trouble or hardship or persecution and even death, uh, that we'll be secure in your promises made to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.